the Ark, the Deluge, and the World's Great Year. Ancient Egypt, The Light of the World, Book 9, by Gerald Massey. Read by Graham Dunlop. Edited by Darren Grimes. At first sight, the general effect of the innumerable deluge legends is to suggest the existence of a primitive kind of catastrophobia resulting from fear of the water flood. The archite symbolism originated in the mountain tree, the cave or enclosure being a natural place of refuge when the waters were out upon the earth. And these were followed by the raft, the boat, or ark that swam the waters as a means of human safety. Before the legends of a deluge could have been formulated, the deluge as an overwhelming flood of water had become a figure used in sign language to express the natural fact in a variety of phenomena to which the type might be and was applied. It is expressed in English still by what is termed a flooding. But a deluge is not only an overflow of water. There is a deluge of blood, both Egyptian and Polynesian. Night brings its deluge of darkness, and dawn lets loose the floods of day. The so-called deluge legend comprises a hundred legends and a hundred applications of the same type. From one single origin in sign language as the primitive mode of representing a fact in nature. The deluge is universal because it was not local. The human race spread out over all the earth would not have been greatly troubled about an excessive overflow of water once upon a time in Mesopotamia. The legend is coeval with all time and current amongst all people, because the deluge did not occur once upon a time. On the grand scale, it was the mythical representation of the ending and submergence of an old order of things in the astronomical mythology. But there were various distinct deluges with that meaning, and not merely one. Egyptian deluge, in the so-called destruction of mankind, is described as continuing for three nights and days. The time is measured by three days' length in navigation through a deluge of blood. Now three nights and days is the length of time that was computed for the monthly absence of the moon in the netherworld. Hence there was a deluge of darkness on that scale in mythology. But the deluge occurred in at least four categories of phenomena. There was a deluge of blood and a deluge of darkness, as well as a deluge of water. There is also a deluge that was a type of periodic time. And by no black art of bibliolatry can these four kinds of deluge be combined in one. A deluge being an ending of a cycle in time, we can understand the language of the Codex Chimapapoca, translated by the Abbe Brasur de Bourbourg concerning the flood, when it says, Now the water was tranquil for forty years plus twelve. All was lost. Even the mountains sank into the water and the water remained tranquil for fifty-two springs. In this account, the well-known Mexican cycle of fifty-two years is measured by means of a deluge at the end of the period. In Inner Africa, the year was reckoned by the periodic Great Rain. In Egypt, by the inundation, And a deluge, we repeat, became the natural type of an ending in time in the uranographic representation. In India, the solar pralaya, in which the waters rise till they reach the seven rishis in the region of the pole, is of necessity Cronian, and applies solely to the keeping of time and period astronomically. The Assyrian deluge is described as lasting seven days. 
This agrees with the seven days silence and the wisdom of Esdras, by which the consummation of the age or ending of the period was to be commemorated, like as in the former judgments, deluges or endings of the cycle or age and time. The flood of Noah is on the scale of the year or thereabouts. The deluge of time, as it was called by the Chaldean Magi, is a breach of continuity, a phase of dissolution. It was a period of negation that was filled in with a festival as a mode of memorializing the dies non, or no time. It was a condition of the lawlessness of misrule, of promiscuous intercourse, of drunkenness, that characterized the Saturnalia by which it was celebrated. There is a Camite prototype in the destruction of mankind, for the woman who is the reputed cause of a deluge in the Egyptian mythos. This is Seket, the Avenger. She is the very great one of the liquid domain. No one is master of the water of Seket, which she lets loose as an element of death and destruction. She was the great mistress of terror and fire and blood. In the destruction of mankind, it is said, there was Seket during several nights, trampling the blood under her feet as far as Heracleopolis. Ra, the solar god, ordered the goddess to slay the evil race in three days of navigation. And the fields were entirely covered with water through the will of the majesty of the god. And there came the goddess, Hathor, in the morning, and she found the fields covered with water. And she was pleased with it, and she went away satisfied and saw no men, i.e. none of the exterminated evil race. This is a form of the Egyptian deluge designated a great destruction, but with no earthly application to the human race. In the African legend relating to the origin of Lake Tanganyika, that was told to Stanley by the Wajigi fishermen, there was a woman to whom the secret of the water spring had been entrusted, who was the cause of the deluge. Possibly this woman was the earth as mother of the waters, seeing that Skomalt is the earth mother of the Okanagos, and that she also was charged with letting in the deluge. Skomalt is a form of the primordial genetrix, equivalent to apt in Egypt. Long ago, they say, when the sun was no bigger than a star, this strong medicine woman ruled over what appears to have become a lost continent. Her subjects rose against her in rebellion, whereupon she broke up the land and all the people but two met with their death by drowning. A man and a woman escaped in a canoe and arrived on the mainland. And from this pair, the Okanagas are descended. A starting point in various deluge legends is from the world all water. This originated with the firmament as the celestial water that was called the Nu, or Nun. Now, one meaning of the word Nun in Egyptian is the flood. Thus, the water of heaven is synonymous with the deluge. In one aspect, the deluge, as a figure in the sign language of the astronomical mythology, was a mode of representing the sinking of the pole in the celestial ocean, which was figured as the world of water. This is the world all water in the legendary lore. The flood upon which Jehovah sat as king was no other than the firmamental nun. So the throne of Osiris was based upon the flood, that is, upon the nun. In the vignettes to the ritual, Osiris sits upon the throne in Amenta as the great judge and ruler, and his throne is balanced as it is described upon the flood. Water being the primary element of life, it was also based on figuratively, and Osiris with his throne resting on the water 
takes the place of the earlier Nu, or later Noah, resting in his ark as master of the deep. Nu was god of the celestial water. The water ass, in one form, was the goddess Nut. This then, and nothing short of it, is the root of the matter when, as in the Navajo Indian legend, certain persons, who are often so one female and one male, make their escape from the overwhelming waters by climbing up a reed to the land of life, which, as a land of reeds, was the primal paradise, or the fields where the papyrus was in flower above the waters of a universal deluge, as represented in the veriest drawing of mythology. We have to learn the sign language before we can understand the nature of mythology. When it is said that Horus inundates the world like the sun each morning, that is with the light as the deluge of day. There's a white water and a black, equivalent to the white bird of light and the black bird of night, as opposite figures of Sut and Horus for the dark and the day. The evil Apap, who drinks the water cubit by cubit at each gulp as the sun goes down, is slain by Horus at daybreak. When he once more sets free the waters of light, which are designated the waters of dawn. In like manner, the waters of day rush forth when Indra slays the serpent of darkness, who was thought of as the swallower of light, water of heaven. Osiris is called the overflower, the great extender, the shoreless one, who in this imagery of the deluge brings to its fullness the divine force which is hidden within him. Thus, in continuing the primitive mode of thinking, the concept Osiris, is the water force personified, instead of being represented as a crocodile, which was also one of the primal types of water. The deluge is only single as a type. There are various deluges known to mythology and various agents who are responsible for causing them. In one legend or folktale, it was the mischievous monkey. In another, it was the tortoise, who sank in the waters and drowned the people who had their dwelling place upon its back. In another, it is caused by the killing of a sacred bird, which might be the vulture or Cygnus. In a fourth, the fountains of the great deep are opened by the taking out of a star, whereupon the deluge follows. A cause of the deluge is attributed to the star gods, Sat in Egypt and Bel in Babylonia. It was caused by a failure in keeping time, and the failure is followed in a number of legends by the new heaven in which the supreme timekeeper is the moon or the lunar divinity who is taught in the Kamite representation. Some most precious remains of the primitive wisdom now extant outside of Egypt are preserved by the oldest races of the world. Much of the matter is found amongst the people of the Polynesian islands, far more to the purpose than anything to be found in the Hindu or the Hebrew sacred books. The Samoans have what may, in a symbolical sense, be termed a deluge legend. Tongaloa, the originator of the heavens, was the builder. Of old, the heavens were always falling down when they consisted of water without any bulwark or embankment. To put a limit to build or make any firm enclosure was to circumscribe the waters and secure a place of refuge from the dreaded deluge. In the time of Ta, their great architect, the Egyptians were advanced enough in craftsmanship for the enclosure formed by him to keep out the waters of the deluge, an amenta, to be made of either iron or steel, called the bametal, an ark was a primitive enclosure formed in the celestial water. 
This, as Egyptian, is the Ark of Nu, and Nu is heaven as water, also a name for the deity of the celestial water. In the Samoan legend, an ark is built before there was any water or water flood, or before the firmament had been figured as water. Tangaloa, of the heavens, and his son Lu, equals Shu, built a canoe or vessel up in the heavens. When the vessel was finished, there was no water to float it. Gaugao, the ancient mother, told her son Lu to have the vessel ready, and she would make the water. She then gave birth to a lake, or the water of life, and also to the salt water, as it is said, there was no sea at that time. The lake we identify with the lake of the thigh, or the meshkin of the water cow. Sea and lake imply both salt and fresh water, the two waters of earth and heaven that were repeated in the two lakes of Amenta. The Samoan deluge lasted until the seventh day, like the Babylonian. As it is said of Lu, he was not many days afloat, some say six, when, on the seventh, his vessel rested on the top of a mountain called Malata. In a papyrus at Turin, the god who claims to be self-existent says, I make the waters and the mahura comes into being. That is heaven as the celestial water. In a hymn to Ta, it is said, The waters of the inundation cover the lofty trees of every region. These, however, are the waters of Nu or the Nun, and not the overwhelming flood of water on the earth. When the Mahura first came into the existence, it was a heaven imaged as the water that was undivided by the astronomers, the islands or other land limits that were figured in the aerial vast, and heaven as the celestial water was the Nu or Nun. A true explanation of the worldwide deluge myths no longer need be sought for in the book of Genesis or in the tradition of a great flood that swept the plains of Mesopotamia, nor in any vast cataclysm that might have been caused by the melting of the ice at the close of the glacial period. We find by the Egyptian wisdom that the deluge, as it is commonly termed, belongs neither to geography nor geology nor history. Geology, the latest of the sciences, was comparatively unknown to the early world. Geology did not furnish the kind of fact with which the ancient science was concerned. Whatsoever the Egyptian mystery teachers of the depths may have known of mines and metals, mythology was not geological in the least degree. Neither did the Kamite chronology include the computation of geological time. It was confidently asserted by Bunsen that the deluge legend was unknown to the Egyptians. But they had all the deluges that ever were as the Hir Seshta informed Solon, including the great deluge of all, whereas the Greeks could only muster two. But in no case were these geological catastrophes. M. Lenormand asserted that the story of the deluge was unknown to the black race, and that while the tradition holds so considerable a place in the legendary memories of all branches of the Aryan people, the monuments and original texts of Egypt, with their many cosmogonic speculations, have not afforded even one distant allusion to this cataclysm. The statement sounds authoritative, but it is not true. Professor Says, following Lenormand, asserts that no tradition of a deluge had been preserved by the Egyptians. This comes of raking for human history and for nothing else in the Semitic debris of the Kamite astronomical mythology, 
Both are wrong, and both were equally misled through looking for the deluge with the Semitic version for their determinatives. Bibliology has gone perilously near to ruining Assyriology and Egyptology for the first generations of students in this country. It is fortunate for genuine scholarship that there are livers out of the Bible-burdened Britain. To identify the deluge legend in Egypt, you must know how to look for it. No use in peering through the Semitic spectacles. The legend of Atlantis retold by Plato and Timaeus was Egyptian. And no doubt what the legend came with the name of lost Atlantis, transliterated through the Greek. As Egyptian, the word atr equals atoll has several meanings in relation to water. A true is the water, the water flood, the water boundary, limit, measure, frontier, embankment. Egyptian in the early stages had no sign of L, but by substitution of the latter letter L for R, the word atr becomes atoll. The root of such names as Atlantis and Atlantic. With this change of letter, the Atarantes of Africa become the Atalantes. The word antu or anti signifies a division of land. Thus, Atlanti, whence Atlantis, as a compound of two Egyptian words, denotes the land divided by the waters or canals of water. Now, the earliest Nui or gnomes of Egypt were seven in number. And these were seven territories marked out, limited and bounded by the Atlu, Atru, as river, canal, conduit, or water boundaries. In the valley of the Nile, the land was bounded first by water as the natural boundary, and seven gnomes would be enclosed by seven Atlu. Long before the land limit was marked out by the boundary stones or stelae. And Atul Antu, we suggest, is the original for the names of Atlantis and the Atlantic Ocean. It is noticeable that in the Nahuatl vocabulary, Atl is also the water name, and that Atlan denotes the border or boundary of the water. Atlan thus becomes a name for the mound, island, or tesh that was placed as a limit to the water in Egypt. This would be the land of Atlan, as we find it both in Africa and America. There were seven such water limits to the land in Egypt when it was divided into seven gnomes. And seven astronomes named after these become the seven islands of the lost Atlantis, which sank in the celestial waters, the heptonomy of the seven lands below having been repeated in the mapping out of heaven in seven astronomes. The heptonomy above, like the one below, was formed of seven lands that were divided by the seven waters, canals, or atlu. At true, and both together constituted the Atlantis of Uranography, the only one that could ever be lost by the celestial waters overflowing the celestial lands. The seven rulers of the astronomes attained the status of divine princes in the celestial heptonomy. And among the gnomes of Lower Egypt, we find the gnome of the Prince of Anu, the gnome of Samhutit, Horus, the gnome of Sebek, the gnome of Shu, the gnome of Happy. Here then, if anywhere on earth, we find a geographical prototype for the Atlantis that was lost in seven islands, according to the records kept by the astronomers, which are preserved in the mythography. Among the many types of the heptonomy and its septenary of powers and stations of the pole may be enumerated. A mount with seven caves, 
seven islands in the sea, the seven-headed serpent whelmed beneath the waters, a tree with seven branches, a fish with seven fins, a pole with seven horns, a cross with seven arms, the seven supporting giants, the ark of seven cubits, the boat with seven kabiri on board, the group of seven cities. It is not necessary to suppose that the Egyptians were the helpless victims of their own symbolism, who lived in mortal dread of the celestial waters falling down and overwhelming them in a deluge once for all. There can be no doubt that the water flood on earth against which the early race was powerless produced a profound and permanent impression, so that the deluge idea became associated with the firmamental water. This can be proved by the mythical deluge dramatically represented in the ritual. I am the father of the inundation, says Anup at the northern pole, whence the waters issued in the deluge of the Milky Way, or White Nile of the Nun. The Egyptian ritual affords a study of the deluge mythos in the phase of eschatology. The passage for the soul in death has long and universally been likened to a river or some dark water flowing betwixt the two worlds of earth and heaven. This in Egypt was the nun. The way of the gods in their ascent and descent to earth was by water. The way of souls in their ascent to heaven is equally by water. Whether in the ark of the moon, the bark of Orion, or the boat of the sun. The Manes, on entering the other life, thus addresses the sailors of the solar bark. O ye seamen of Ra, at the gloaming of day let me live after death, day by day as doth Ra. That is by means of the boat which keeps the sun or the soul of the deceased afloat upon the drowning element. In the chapter for traveling on the road which is above the earth, the speaker says, It is I who voyage on the stream which divideth the divine pair. These are the two sisters Isis and Naphthus, whose stations in the Osirian solar mythos were at the western and eastern sides of the river, which ran north and south in heaven as in Egypt. Some prophetic tableau showed the deceased and his funeral bark, speeding before the wind with all sail set, having started on his way to the next world the very day that he took possession of his new abode in death. Amongst the words that are said on the day of burial to bring about the resurrection and the glory, the deceased asks that he may see the ship of the holy Sahus traversing the sky, that is, the ark of the souls represented in the constellation of Orion. He also pleads, Let the divine vessel Neshemet advance to meet me. The Osiris tells us that the name of his bark is Collector of Souls. The picture of it is the representation of his glorious journey upon the canal. Safe in the ark, he crosses the waters in which the helpless souls are wrecked. In the chapter by which the ship is sailed in the netherworld, the speaker not only sails across the water of Nu, for he says, I come from the lake of fire and flame, from the field of flame, and he stands erect and safe in the bark which the god is piloting at the head of Aru that is, on the summit of the mount, or final resting place of the ark, which the deceased had safely reached through fire and flood. On entering the solar bark, the Osiris says, I have come myself and delivered the deity from the pain and suffering that were in the trunk, in shoulder, and in leg. I have come and healed the trunk and fastened the shoulder and made firm the leg. And I embark for the voyage of Ra. 
the leg of Osiris, like the leg of Nut or the leg of Ta, image the supporting power of the pole. The Manes pleads, Let not the Osiris new be shipwrecked on the great voyage. Let not disasters reach him. May the steering be kept clear from misadventure. Let me come to see my father Osiris. O thou ship of the garden of Aru, let me be conveyed to that bread of thy canal as my father, the great one who advanceth in the divine ship. Lo, I sailed a great bark on the stream of the god Hetep. I took it at the mansion of Shu, the starry heaven. I sail upon its stream and range within the garden of Hetep. When about to embark the bark of Ra, the speaker says, O great one, let me be lifted into thy bark. Let me make head for thy staircase. Let me have charge of those who convey thee, who are attached to thee, and who are the stars which never set. These are the seven that pull at the rope, or as we should say, that keep the law of gravitation in equipoise. The seven arms of the balance, or the seven bonds of the universe, the seven towers that became the later seven rowers, sailors, or kabiri. These are sometimes called the seven spirits of Anu, that is, at the pole, the mount of glory in the stellar mythos. Four of the seven can be identified as Amsta, Happy, Tuamatef, and Kabsenef. Set at the bark, Staff of Anup may I propitiate these four glorified ones who follow after the master of all things. These are four of the seven that pulled the bark up to the landing stage upon the summit with the primitive rope, who were afterwards stationed as the four oars at the four cardinal points in the later heaven, and also as the children of Horus, who had previously been his brothers. There's a great bursting forth of the floods in Amenta, described in the ritual as a vast and overwhelming inundation. This passage of the waters shows the deluge legend in the Kamite eschatology. The Osiris calls upon the Lord of the Flood, the Great One who is shoreless, to save him. Do thou save me. I who know the deep waters is my name. But I am not the one who drowneth. Blessed are they who see the born. Beautiful is the God of the motionless heart who causeth the stay of the overflowing, or the flood. Behold, there cometh forth the Lord of life, Osiris thy support, who abideth day by day. The tunnels of the earth have given me birth. This overflow of the great waters called the flood also occurs in Sheol, amongst the other trials and tribulations of the sufferer represented in the Hebrew book of Psalms. The channels of waters appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. He drew me out of the great waters. As one of the means of salvation from the overwhelming waters, the Manes clings to the sycamore tree which standeth in the lake of Akeb. He exclaims, I embrace the sycamore, I am united to the sycamore tree. That is, to Osiris in the tree, the tat, or pole, the type of fixity to be clasped for safety amid the waters rising round the soul in death and in the darkness of the nether earth. Sufficient mythical matter for a legend of the deluge and the ark may be found in the 64th chapter of the ritual. It is recorded in the rubrical directions appended to the chapter that it was discovered on a plinth of the god of the Henu bark by a master builder on the wall in the time of King Septi the Victorious. 
Septi or Seti was the king in the first dynasty who lived and ruled in Egypt from 6,000 to 7,000 years ago. At that time, the chapter was rediscovered as an ancient writing. We learned from this that the bursting forth of the waters and an overwhelming flood was based upon the natural fact of the inundation in Egypt. The imagery had been reproduced in heaven and also in Amenta. The lower Egypt of the netherworld, a great catastrophe caused by the waters that have broken out of bounds, is more than once referred to in the ritual. The Osiris says to the powers, Grant ye that I may have the command of the waters, even as the mighty Sut had the command of his enemies on the day of disaster to the earth. May I prevail over the long-armed ones in their four corners, even as that glorious and ready God prevailed over them. The bursting forth of the waters is described as a great disaster. In this chapter, there is an application of the deluge imagery to the sun in the mythos and the departed soul in the eschatology. With the Egyptians the supreme type of helpfulness and charity, or of love to thy neighbor, was an ark or boat that offered safety to the shipwrecked amidst the waters. Hence, when Pleading in the Hall of Judgment, the speaker claims to have done the right thing in Tamaret, Egypt. He clinches it by saying, I have given bread to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, and a boat to the shipwrecked. The subject matter is very ancient. It belongs to that early time when Sut was a pre-Osirian form of the good being. In relation to the pole, the dog star, and the inundation of the Nile, here the deluge of the inundation is a deluge of destruction directed against the workers of evil. In short, it does what the inundation did for Egypt in washing away the result of drought, in cleansing from corruption and restoring a healthy new life to the land. Hence the deceased desires to have the same command over the waters and amenta that Sut had when they burst forth in a drowning flood. Thus, 6,000 years ago, the so-called deluge legend was ancient in Egypt, and it belonged to the time when Sut, in command of the waters, had not lost his place in glory, and his deluge was employed to destroy the Sabao, the Sami, the Apap dragon, the long-armed ones, and other evil enemies of God and man who were not human beings. In the same chapter, Osiris has superseded Sut as lord of the flood. Further, the two divine sisters Isis and Nephthys were imaged as two birds. The Ark of Nu described in the ritual is conducted over the nun by two birds which represent the two sister goddesses Isis and Nephthys. It is said to these in relation to the inundation, Ye two divine hawks upon your gables, who are giving attentive heed to the matter, ye who conduct the ship of Ra, advancing onwards from the highest place of the Ark in heaven. It is also said to Osiris, Thy two sisters Isis and Nephthys come to thee, and they convey to thee the great extent of the waters, in thy name of the great extender as lord of the flood. These allusions show that there was an ark to which the two birds were attached as conductors. They are represented as hawks, but as the birds of east and west, or the earlier south and north, are equivalent to the dove of day and the raven of night in Semitic tradition. Isis was the lady or bird of dawn, and Nephthys the lady of darkness. In this, the solar phase, the passage of the ark was from west to east, where it was conducted by the two birds or goddesses of the west and east. 
Heaven was flooded with a deluge of light at daybreak, and the nether earth was inundated with a deluge of darkness. The ark, conducted through the waters by the two birds of light and darkness, or east and west, is described in a twofold character as the shrine of Osiris in the center of the earth, and also as the ark of Ra that reaches the highest point in heaven. It is the ark of the Lord of Resurrections, he who cometh forth from the dusk and whose birth is from the house of death, or from Amenta, as the re-arising solar god. The ark that rested on Mount Nizir in the Babylonian legend, or Mount Ararat in the Hebrew version, and on Mount Manu in the Hindu account is described in the ritual as the Ship of Ra, which attains the highest place of the ark in heaven. With the Mount of Glory for anchorage and the pole for mooring post, deceased in the character of Nu repulses the water of the deluge. He is the image of Nu, lord of the inundation and father of the gods. He maneuvers the ark or bark with which he voyages in heaven. He turns back the deluge that devastates the leg of nut and brings back strength to the fainting gods by such means of dealing with the waters. In this chapter of the ritual, the devastating deluge is also alluded to as a mode of judgment. It is directed against the rebels. Those who are in the ark or the solar bark are saved from the great cataclysm, which devastates the leg of nut, or sweeps away the support of the celestial waters, whilst the rebels are overthrown and reduced to non-existence. The rebels against Ra are identical with the men or the race that spoke and plotted evil against him in another version of the deluge myth. After the deluge of devastation, there is a renewal, rejuvenescence, and rebirth. Seb and Nut, Earth and Heaven, are pleased at heart. They grow young again. The leg of Nut, which the deluge devastated, was a very early type of the celestial pole, as the bulwark, prop, or mainstay against the waters of the firmament. In one phase, the Ark of Nu is the Ark of the Nun as the celestial water. In the other, it is the Ark of Nu as God of the celestial water. It is depicted in chapter 44, crossing the water of Putrata, the lake of darkness, and cutting its way through the coils of the Apap dragon. The speaker is one of the Manis in Amenta, about to embark on board the boat of souls. He says, O thou who sailest the ship of Nu across that gulf which is void, let me sail the ship, let me fasten the tackle in peace, in peace. Let me fasten the tackle and come forth. The place is empty into which the starry ones fall down headlong upon their faces and find nothing by which they can raise themselves up. The ship of Nu is facing the west, where it has to cross the lake of darkness, or the great gulf of the waters by night, the lurking place of the devouring dragon, into which the setting stars go down, also the human souls that have not attained salvation on board the ark. We learned previously that the deluge is imminent. In other words, the waters of the nun are traversed by the ark at night with the rescued souls on board. The shrine at the center of the earth is one with the shrine in the ark of the earth, and the ark of earth in one character is the ship of Nu in the other, is the ark of Osiris or Ta in Amenta, and the ark of Ra in heaven when it comes forth in the east. But whether in the depth or height, the bark of inert Osiris or the living Ra would still be the bark of Nu, the ark that swam the deluge of the celestial water, 
it is said that the bark of Ra is in danger of the whirlwind and storm, which affords a glimpse of the tempest commonly associated with the deluge and the legends and traditions of the great disaster. But the Osiris knew, or knew as god of the inundation, turneth back the water flood, the deluge that has nearly overwhelmed the leg of Nut, or the pole, which supports the firmament, and he keeps the companions safe who are on board the bark until the resting place is finally attained upon the summit of the mount. The land that is reached at last by the mariners in the Ark of Nu is called the Tip of Heaven, at the place of coming forth from the swathings in the garden of Aru, and the coming forth in the exaltation. These are the names of that celestial country for which the Bark or Ark of Nu was sailed. It is also called the ship of the Garden of Aru. The speaker in chapter 98 says, I stand erect in the bark which the god is piloting, the head of Aru. This is the Aru of spirits perfected in the eschatology, the summit of which is in the region of the never-setting stars at the highest point of heaven. In the various deluge legends, the ark was stranded on top of the mount, as it was on Ararat and Nazir, Manu and Malata. Here the Ark of Nu becomes the bark of the blessed, whose landing place in heaven is called Mount Hatap, at the summit of the pole. The pole is the mooring post to which the cable of the vessel was made fast. The voyage cometh to an end, and praise is uttered to the gods who are in the garden of everlasting peace and plenty. When the passengers approach the landing stage, heaven opens up its embracing arms. The lamps of heaven are lighted. The Kabsu gods rise up to offer acclamations. The old ones and those who have gone before are said to welcome the voyagers at their arrival on the Mount of Assembly and Reunion. These are the two classes of spirits, superhuman and human, elemental and ancestral, otherwise called the gods and the glorified. There was no need for an altar to be raised at this landing stage upon the summit at the moment of debarkation. To complete the parallel with the landing on Mount Ararat or Nizir in the Semitic versions, the ritual preserves the astral mythos in the form of drama. The voyagers who land upon Mount Hetep are souls of the departed, and not human beings. The rendering in the ritual is not historical, not merely mythical, not simply astronomical. Sacrificial ceremonies are performed upon the altar and offerings made at the moment of deparkation. These are in two categories. In one, Noah, New, or the Osiris New, presents the oblation and propitiation to the gods upon the mount. In the second, those who have gone before as the ancestral spirits make offerings of the sacred cakes and other forms of food to the newcomers, whom they become as their fellow citizens to the eternal city, on their landing from the Ark of New. Thus far, we trace the deluge legend and the Ark of Nu in the phase of eschatology by means of the ritual. We now turn to representations of the subject in the astronomical mythology, which in earlier ages preceded these of the eschatology. In several chapters of the ritual, the breaking forth of the celestial waters in a typical deluge is alluded to or described. In chapter 136a, it is said of the god who has the mastery over the inundation he turneth back the water flood, which is over the thigh of the goddess Nut at the staircase of Seb. The overwhelming water has here ascended to the summit of the mount or staircase, which, like the leg of Nut, was a figure of the pole, 
Thus, the deluge is portrayed as submerging the pole when this was figured as the leg of Nut. And the water flood was then turned back by Nu, the lord of the celestial water, whose ark of salvation from the deluge is the ship of heaven by name. Howsoever constellated, the bark of Nu was the ark of heaven on the celestial water. Now when the change was made from a heaven of seven divisions to one of eight, as described in the very ancient papyrus containing the hymn of the god Shu, it is portrayed as superseding the arc of seven cubits with an arc of eight cubits, or the heptonomy by the octonary. This also indicates a change of pole, the pole that was imaged by the staff of Shu the giant. The hymn to Shu includes the legend of a deluge. It is called a chapter of the excellent songs which dispel the emerged. That is, those who were drowned in the deluge as the evil creatures of darkness. It is said, those who are emerged do not pass along. Those who pass along do not plunge. They remain floating on the waves like the dead bodies on the inundation of the Nile, and they shut their mouths as the great seven dungeons are closed with an eternal seal. Now there is a reason to suppose that these seven great dungeons, sealed with an eternal seal, were a form of the superseded heaven in seven divisions, answering to the seven caves in the Mexican mount, and to the book of seven seals in Revelation. In the same papyrus there is a book of magical spells for remaining as dwellers in the country, where the great catastrophe occurs. It is said that Horus has given the warning cry, subsidence of the country. This, as we interpret the text, is that the cataclysmal ending in time and space it was mythically dramatized as a deluge or inundation which overwhelmed the land above and effaced certain landmarks in the celestial waters. The cubit may stand for a general measure. Four measures or cubits typified an arc of the four quarters in space. Seven cubits were a fourth of 28 measures in the circle of 28 lunar signs. Thus, seven cubits or measures in an arc, shrine, or tabernacle formed a figure of heaven in seven divisions. And when the heptonomy were followed by the heaven of Tot, the arc of eight cubits superseded the shrine of seven cubits, and the ape became the type of Tot in the octonary instead of the heptonomy. The arc of seven cubits was continued as a sacred type in the religious ceremonies. For instance, it is commanded by the rubric to chapter 133, Papyrus of New, that this chapter shall be recited over a boat four cubits in length, on which the divine sovereign chiefs of the cities have been painted and a heaven with its stars portrayed. But in the papyrus of Ani, the boat is ordered to be made seven cubits in length. This, then, is a figure of the arc of seven cubits which preceded the arc of eight cubits, and the heaven of four quarters that was imaged by the boat of four cubits. The heptonomy has been figured as an arc of seven measures in the waters of heaven, and this was followed by the Ark of Eight Measures as the shrine of the calf ape, a zootype of Tot, the lunar god, after there had been a subsidence of the country, and the secret abysses of the nun, and the foundations of the deep had been laid open at the time of the deluge. There had been no moon established in the stellar mythos. Otherwise stated, time was not yet computed by the lunar reckoning, or by Tot, the reckoner of time. In this sense, the moon was not created until after the deluge. 
Thus, in some legends, the moon becomes a resting place or ark of safety riding on the waters. At Hawaii, the typical deluge was called the flood of the moon. Meru is likewise shown to be a form of the mythical mount that reached up to the moon. Also, it is related in one of the Hebrew legends that paradise was exempt from the deluge or was preserved from the great disaster because it was planted on the summit of a mountain reaching to the moon. In the Egyptian inscription called The Destruction of Mankind, there is a rebellion against Ra, the sun god, followed by a great destruction and a deluge. Atum Ra had been established as the king of gods and men, the god by himself. There is a revolt against his supremacy. He called the elder gods around him for consultation and says to them, You ancient gods, behold the beings who are born of myself. They utter words against me. Tell me what you would do in these circumstances. Behold, I have waited, and I have not destroyed them until I should hear what you have to say. The elder gods advise that they may go and smite the enemies who plot evil against Ra, and let none remain alive. The rebels are then destroyed in three days of navigation. When the deluge of blood is over, it is said by the majesty of Ra, I shall now protect men on this account. I raise my hand in token that I shall not again destroy men. The rebel powers, headed by the coiling and constricting Apap reptile vomiting the deluge of the dark by night, were always in revolt against the Lord of Light. And this legend commemorates their overthrowal in the deluge of blood. The chief agent in the work of vengeance is Hathor, the lunar goddess, who is aided by the solar goddess, Saket, in executing the commands of Ra. The goddess started. She smote the enemies over all the land because they had plotted evil against the majesty of Ra. These enemies are drowned in the deluge, then poured out. The fields were entirely covered with water through the will of his majesty, the god. And there came the goddess Hathor in the morning, and she found the fields covered with water, and she was pleased with it, and drank to her heart's content. She saw no more of the enemies who were sunk in the waters that represented the flood of light, which was now poured forth by Ra at dawn, and in which the creatures of the dark were drowned. It is said by his majesty living and well to his followers, I call before my face Shu, Tefnut, Seb, Nut, and the fathers and mothers who were with me when I was yet in the nun, and I prescribe to Nu, who brings his companions with him. These are the instructions given by the god to Nu. Bring a small number of them, his companions, that the beings may not see them. These beings are the creatures about to be destroyed in the coming flood. And that their heart may not be afraid, thou shalt go with them into the ark or sanctuary until I shall go with Nu to the place where I stand. Or to the summit of the mount on which the legendary ark at last was safely landed. The ark or sanctuary here indicated as the figure of a newly founded heaven which follows the deluge, by which a previous world was wrecked. The inscription is very dilapidated. Nevertheless, it obviously contains a creation of the men, as in the Assyrian revolt in heaven in the place of the creatures thus destroyed. When His Majesty arrived in the sanctuary, the men were going forth and bearing their bows and shooting their arrows against his enemies. These were not the enemies, but the defenders of Ra. Hence it was said to Ra by the men, let us smite the enemies, the rebels. 
The celestial water was primarily assigned to the female Nu, or Nut. Her heaven was imaged as the cow. At first it was the water cow, and afterwards the milch cow. And it was Nut, with the majesty of Ra on her back. She was carrying the god in her form of the cow. This mode of locomotion on the cow's back or between the cow's horns, see the pictures, is now to be superseded by the building of the solar bark. Said by the majesty of the god, I have resolved to be lifted up. Who is it that Nut will trust with it, i.e., with the new ark or sanctuary of the god? Carry me that I may see. Said by the majesty of the god, let a field of rest extend itself, and there arose a field of rest. Let the plants grow there, and there arose the Saket Hetep, or fields of the papyrus reed. The beings who were destroyed were Sabao and Sami, representatives of the plagues of Egypt. The men who are created in their place are of the starry race. The majesty of the gods saw the inner part of the sanctuary in which he had been lifted up, or the ark in which he made his voyage over the celestial waters. And he said, I assemble and give possession of these multitudes of men. I establish as inhabitants all the beings which are suspended in the sky, the stars. And Nut began to tremble very strongly. I assemble there the multitudes that they may celebrate thee. And there arose the multitudes. These are the stars in one category and in the other souls that were collected in the Ark of Salvation, or the Ark of New, that is, the Ark of Heaven, and of the God of the celestial waters. Said by the majesty of Ra, my son Shu, take with thee my daughter Nut, and be the guardian of the multitudes which live in the nocturnal sky. Bear them on thy head, and be their fosterer. This is an allusion to the raising overhead the beautiful creation of the starry firmament which Shu sustains, whether in the form of the cow of Nut, the water of the Nun, or the ark of Nu. After the destruction, there is to be a new creation, and Ra is in need of support from Nu and his companions. Said by the majesty of the god, or his majesty, to the majesty of Nu, My limbs have suffered long. I cannot walk without support, or have others to support me. This will show that Nu occupies the place of Noah in relation to the building of the ark, or sanctuary, and in accordance with the instructions received from Ra. Ra informs Nu that he needs some other means of supporting himself than the back of the cow. He calls upon Nu and his three sons to assist him against his enemies, the rebels. Thus the cow of Nut was to be superseded by the Ark of Nu when he became the representative of the heavenly water and master of the inundation. Nut says dutifully that she will act as if seems good to her father Nu. There had been various kinds and forms of the celestial or astronomical art that was at first necessitated as the means of carriage for the gods, because the heavens had been imaged as the firmamental water. The great mother Apt, who was the image of all firstness both by name and nature in the likeness of the pregnant hippopotamus, was a kind of ark, and possibly the earliest that ever crossed the waters of the nun. She carried her young ones in the cabin that was uterine. Child Horace, on his papyrus reed, was in the ark that saved him from the waters, as the sign was constellated in the planisphere of Dendera. The Pleiades formed an ark as constellation for the Kuti, the lesser bear for the Anup, and the seven voyagers round about the pole. 
Orion was the Ark of the Holy Sahuz, with Horus at the lookout. The Ark of Tat was in the crescent moon that sailed the Azure deep by night. Then Ra, the solar deity, resolved on being lifted up as God alone, the only one who superseded all the elder powers. A new heaven was to be his tabernacle. This was the Ark of New. The change from one heaven to the other implied a great destruction of the rebels. A deluge was the modus operandi, and the Ark the means of safety for the few just men and true, together with the consorts who were saved from the catastrophe. As a symbol in sign language, the Ark was built by Nu, the master of the firmamental water. For the means of safety in the world, all water against the coming flood and the subsidence of land, which was the land of Nu. In space, it was the Ark for the Four Quarters that was propelled by the four paddles of Happy, Tamutef, Kabsanef, and Amsta. Hence, Seb, or the earth, abideth stably by means of the four rudders, or oars. Hence also the four-square box that imaged the Ark of No on the well-known Apamean coin. In a car, or a menta, it was the Ark of Osiris, and earth the Ark of Seb, and heaven the Ark of Ra. Its main mast was the pole. The night light on the masthead was the pole star. In the myth it was the Ark of Ra, the bark of millions of years. In the eschatology it is the Ark of Salvation, the refuge for eternity. The sinking ones had looked for their deliverance from the waters to the bark of Anup, voyaging round the pole, also to the crescent-shaped Ark of Tot seen in the new moon, then to the Ark of Horus and the Holy Sahus, constellated in Orion, and finally they sought salvation in the Ark which knew, and his three sons, Shu, Tot, and Seb, were now to build for Ra, the solar god. The Egyptian Ark, or Ship of Nu, is the Ark of Heaven, or conversely stated, the Ark of Heaven is the Ship of Nu, and the Ark of Heaven was the revolving sphere, configured as a sailing vessel with two masts, as we have found it figured by the mystery teachers in their uranographic imagery of the celestial deluge. The Ark is portrayed in the act of sailing over a vast, unfathomable, hollow void of formless space. As it is said, the place is empty. Into this, the helpless ones fall headlong unless they are saved on board the ark. In a vignette to the papyrus of Anai, it is new that is seen uplifting the boat of the gods with seven persons on board, besides the beetle and the solar disc. The figure of new in this drawing is both female and male, new and nut in one figure. Among the Assyrian fragments, there is reference to a legend which has not come down to us. In this, it is said that Ishtar counseled the destruction of mankind, whereas in the extant account of the Deluge, the goddess bewails their destruction and grieves bitterly over the loss of her children. Now Ishtar is an Akkado-Assyrian form of the goddess Hathor, who in the Egyptian mythos counsels the destruction of the beings and executes the judgment passed upon them by the gods with no wailing or weeping afterwards. This points back to the Egyptian original of another Akkado-Assyrian version. According to the Hebrew reading of the legend, the deluge was provoked by the sins of men. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and he determined to blot out and obliterate the race. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
The Chaldean and Hindu legends know nothing of human sin as a cause of the deluge. The sin against the gods, however, is described as the cause of the deluge and the so-called destruction of men. Ra says to none and others of the elder pre-solar gods, Behold the beings who are born of myself. They utter words against me. That is, they are in rebellion against the one true God. But these beings, in this case, were elemental, not mortal, and the sin was not human. When the deluge or destruction is over and past, Ra swears that he will not again destroy men. Said by Ra, I now raise my hand that I shall no more destroy men. I shall now protect men on account of this. So the Hebrew deity promises that he will not again curse the ground any more for the sake of men. Neither will I again smite any more any living thing, as in the deluge of destruction. This is the same thing only written out large and told as if it were human history, whereas the original is mythological. It relates to the superseding of the earlier gods, Nu, Seb, Shu, and Tat, by Ra as the supreme being. Or rather, these old gods and elemental powers are to become the servants of his majesty Ra, and the new heaven now established for the keeping of perfect time, with Ra as the head over all. Ra had resolved to be lifted up in an ark or sanctuary. Nu and his small number of companions who enter the ark or sanctuary are eight in number. Four male, Nu, Seb, Shu, and Tot, and four female, Seket, Nut, Hathor, and Tefnut, who can be paired thus. One, Nu with Seket, two, Shu with Tefnut, three, Seb with Nut, and four, Tot with Hathor. Nu was the deity of the heavenly water, and Seket is in possession of the water on the night of the great disaster, or the deluge. Seket is also called the very great one of the liquid domain. These are certainly a pre-Semitic form of the eight in the ark, and as Nu was the firstborn of these gods, he may be called the father of the other three in the ark, as represented in the biblical version. The whole world, however, that was divided between the three sons of Nu, Shu, Seb, and Tot, was not on our earth, was not in Africa, Asia, or Europe. Shu was to be the guardian of the multitudes in the nocturnal sky. Seb of the serpents in the cycles of time, and to Tot were assigned the nations of the north. Tot had a double portion. Ra says, I shall give thee to raise thy hand in the presence of the gods. I shall give thee to embrace the two parts of the sky. I shall give thee to turn thyself toward the northern nations. This looks as if Tot were the prototype of Japheth. Shu, whose name signifies shade and who was to be the guardian of those who are in the sky of night, agrees with Ham, the dark of color or black. It was Shu who might have seen his father new by night with his person exposed, as it was his work to lift up the nocturnal heaven or new. This leaves Sham as the representative of Seb. Seb is the father of Horus on earth, and as it was supposed, the Hebrew Messiah was to descend from Shem. Thus, it is possible to identify the new point of departure for the threefold human race derived from Sham, Ham, and Japheth, considered to be the fathers of three different and diverse races of mankind. Ra describes the group of elder gods who preceded him as the fathers and the mothers. Said by his majesty, I call before my face Shu, Tefnut, Seb, Nut, and the fathers and mothers who were with me when I was still in none. 
or previously to his issuing from the lotus in the bosom of the heavenly water. Here we have the fathers and mothers of the new race or races in the new world that followed the flood ready to the hand of the sacred historian. These fathers and mothers are eight in number, all told, who are mentioned by name. Nu and Saket, Seb and Nut, Shu and Tefnut, Tot and Hathor. These are eight persons in four pairs of consorts, exactly the same as the eight consorts in the Ark of Noah. The moon god Tot becomes the enlarger of the domains of Ra, as his lunar representative by night. Ra calls Tot before him, said by the majesty of the god, or his majesty to Tot, Come, let us leave the sky in my abode, because I wish to make a luminary in the inferior sky and in the deep region where thou inscribest the inhabitants, and thou art the guardian of those who do evil, the followers whom my heart abhors. But thou art my abode, the god of my abode. Behold, thou wilt be called Tehuti, the house of Ra. I shall give thee to send, Lacuna. And there arose the ibis of Tat. I shall give thee to raise thy hand in the presence of the gods. And there arose two wings of the ibis of Tat. I shall give thee to embrace the two parts of the sky with the beauty in thy rays. And there arose the lunar crescent of Tat. I shall give thee to turn thyself towards the northern nations. And there arose the Cynocephalus of Tat, which is his escort. Thou art under my dominion. This was written in the book of Atum-Ra, who was also the god Huhi, equals Ihu. Thus, in this new creation of Ra, which was established after the old heaven had been overwhelmed by the deluge, the moon god Tot was made the enlarger of the domains of Ra. As we read in the texts, Ra created him a beautiful light to show the name of his evil enemy, the Apap dragon of darkness. This enlargement turns on the moon god, becoming the ruler for Ra by night and establishing his sovereignty over the black race in the domain of Sut and in the inferior hemisphere. The enlarging in the Hebrew version is at the expense of Ham, equals Cam, the black. A servant of servants shall be unto his brethren, but God enlarges Jephath. Hem is treated in the Marchen as the evil enemy Apap, or the black Sut in the mythos, thus making the legend ethnical by this perversion of the meaning. Enlargement of the world denotes the formation of a heaven on larger scale. Thus Tot, like Jephath, was the enlarger or the enlarged. Also, one mode of the enlarging was by Tat becoming a luminary in the inferior sky and in the region of Amenta. And here we come upon the probable origin of the cursing of the Canaan and Semitic travesty. Ham equals Cam represents the power and the people of darkness. Tat is to enlarge the borders of light at the expense of the domain of darkness. It is said to Tat by Ra, in the deep region where thou inscribest the inhabitants, thou art the keeper of those who do evil, the followers whom my heart abhors. These were the darkies and the blackheads in the dark land of Amenta, who are to be subject to the rule of Tot by night, which has been converted in the Semitic perversion of the mythos into the servitude of Canaan and the children of Ham. When it had been discovered that the moon derived its light and glory from the unseen sun, there was a change of status for them both. The moon was previously a mother to the child of light, whom she was unable to affiliate. 
And now, as it was mythically rendered, she learned that she was a wife, hemped, as well as a mother, and that her infant was begotten by the solar god. The transaction is portrayed as one of the mysteries of Amenta in the ritual. The lady who gives light in darkness by night and overthrows the devouring monsters describes herself as a kind of ravisher to who the solar god. She retires with him to the Vale of Abydos, where she goes to rest. She seized upon the sun god in the place where she found him. The result of this is that the twins Sut and Horus, the powers of darkness and light, that were previously born of the mother alone, are now attributed to the sun god Hu, or Ra, as his children. Hathor had been the lunar lady, the slayer of the evil powers of darkness. And now the male god Tat is equipped in the house or ark of the moon as the teller of time for Ra. He is designated the teller of decrees, which Ra hath spoken in heaven, for Horus to execute on earth and in Amenta, with Tot and Anup as his chief two witnesses. After the deluge and the destruction of mankind, the god Ra establishes a covenant with those who have escaped from the flood. He says that what he commanded is well done, and that the destruction of his enemies removes destruction from themselves. Said by the majesty of Ra, it is well done all this. I shall now protect men on account of this. Said by Ra, I now raise my hand that I shall not destroy men. I.e., not again. The making of this covenant after the deluge is followed by the establishment of the New Year's festival under the direction of the young priestesses of Hathor. Hence comes it that libations are made under the direction of priestesses at the festival of Hathor to all men since the days of old. When the lunar orb has been converted into the abode of Ra by night, it is said, and there arose the crescent moon of Tot. Now the lunar crescent is the mythological bow. The speaker in the character of the solar god issuing from the crescent moon exclaims, I am the lion god issuing from the bow, and therefore I shot forth. When this was written, it had been apprehended that the moon derived its light from the hidden sun and shot the arrows forth with the growing, stretching crescent that was drawn bow-like to the full, with all the force of the young lion god. It was for this that Tot, the lunar deity, was wanted by Ra, as his bowman by night, to shoot the arrows of his light with the crescent of the monthly moon for his bow. For this the bow was set in the nocturnal heaven by Ra, and there arose the crescent moon of Tot, the bow. The crescent moon was figured as the bow in heaven for a sign that there should be no further deluge of destruction, because the keeping of time and seasons did not now depend upon the setting or non-setting stars. When time was reckoned by Tehuti the teller, by means of the dual lunation, the power was established that no flood which had submerged the pole or drowned the heptonomy, or the heaven in ten divisions, could in future overwhelm. Thus the deluge in the stellar mythos being over, and the powers of darkness being defeated and destroyed, chiefly through the direct agency of the lunar goddess Hathor. The bow of Tot was set in heaven with its promise that the waters of the wrath of Ra should not again cover the earth. This, like all that is Egyptian, was true mythos, not false explanation of natural fact. It does not mean that the moon was actually created there and then give light for the first time. That would not be mythology, but fictitious history. The Kamite account of this ancient wisdom is mythological. 
The biblical is pretended history. It is now to be shown that the Bow and Camite mythos, which we look upon as the original, was not the rainbow, which was afterwards substituted as more natural by those who knew no better. The lunar crescent was not only the bow of the deluge and sign of promise for all future time, it was also an arc of safety from the waters of the nun, in which the young child of light was bosomed and reborn of the lunar virgin mother. In the Osirian cult, Osiris was reborn in an arc of crescent shape, which was a figure of the crescent moon. It is said to Osiris in the preparatory pangs of birth, Tat is a protection for thee. He placeth thy soul in the lunar bark in that name which is thine of God Moon, or God An, another name of Osiris. The arc of the new moon was a means of resurrection for Osiris on the third night after his death. If we count the seventeenth Aether as one, the priests brought out the second coffer containing a little golden ark. They also modeled a little image of the crescent moon. Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for $7.77 per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.